have you ever been to the cinema and you've been watching a film and then you get, you get that feeling where you, uh, you need to go to the bathroom? So you're halfway through the film, or not even halfway through, you get, and you're, you're quite into it, but you feel, uh, I need the toilet here. So you go out and then you come back uh, and then you have to ask the person you're with, well, what was that, what's happened there and why is that person doing that and, you know, why are they kissing each other and things like that, you know, and you're trying to work out different things. Well, imagine that, but then imagine that happening loads of times. So you need the toilet loads and loads of different times. Um, and, you, and you keep going in and out of the cinema, but you're never really knowing what the story is. It'll be very difficult to get to grips of what the basic outline is going on, and, and you'll always be asking questions, always figuring out what, what's happening. And I think sometimes as Christians, we can be guilty of glossing over some of the character of God, where we can look at God and we can look at some of his um, characteristics, we can look at some of his traits, but it's kind of like we run out of the cinema sometimes because some things we like the look of, but then other things we don't really like the look of, so we, we don't really look at that. But the problem is, is that when that happens and when times come when it's, when it's a struggle, when we're battling, when we're facing um, temptations, when, uh, when we're trying to endure we're struggling in our understanding because we don't really know who God is. We don't really know where things fit in. All right? So what we're going to look at today and look at one of the characteristics of God is about God being a father, God being a dad. Um, I don't know if you've re- ever really thought about God as our father. Um, Jesus prayed the Lord's Prayer, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Uh, Paul prays in Ephesians, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Psalm 68, chapter 5 says, He is Father of the fatherless and protector of widows. If you're a Christian, we need to embrace the fact that we are adopted into Christ's family, into God's family. And God is our Father. He cares for us. He loves us. Um, There's nothing that can separate us from His love. There's absolutely nothing. He is our eternal Father. And that's the big kind of picture I want to kind of paint for you um, as we go through today. Um, we can't do anything to earn it. We can't do anything for God to take his love away from us. He unconditionally and relentlessly loves us. We cannot do anything to make him love us more, and we can't do anything to make him love us less. He loves us. See, our Father is continually with us and is continually shaping and molding us. Um, And he never gives up on us. He never, ever, ever gives up on us. That's our dad. That's our Father. And just like all good fathers, when we speak to him, he answers in love. But the answer may not be what we want to hear all the time. It may be what we need, but it's not what we want to hear. Not all the time. But I know that this isn't a reality for everyone because when I say about being a father, I know that we've got enough people in this room that not everyone has got good experiences having a dad. But let me just encourage you and say that Jesus and God knows that. He knows our backgrounds. He knows uh, where our relationships lie. He knows if if we're being good parents or not. He knows um, about our family history. And what he says to us is that God is our perfect heavenly father. And even if you have the best relationship with your dad, that still falls short of what God is to us. And even if you've had the worst relationship with your dad, that again still falls short. We all fall short of God's love. So throughout this talk, I want us to have in mind that God is our 
Father who has a deep and relentless and immovable love for us. So we'll just look at the passage now with Hebrews. And uh, well, I'll just put it a little bit into context. Hebrew is, Hebrews is an incredibly sobering book to read. I don't know if any of you just read it all the way through. It's very sobering. It's very um, kind of linking the Old Testament with the New Testament, but it's, it's a very sobering book to read. It's, um, it's written to people who are beaten down with difficulties and they're struggling every day. They're just beaten down and they're weary. Um, these people are just ready to give up and be done with it. They've had it. They're ready to give up. And this book kind of acts like an intense public pastoral counseling for them. Um, kind of encouraging them. Um, encouraging them to endure. Encouraging them to carry on. Encouraging them just to keep going. To keep, uh, to keep running the race. The writer of Hebrews is unknown. There's different speculation of who it could be. But one thing is for sure. He wants the readers to understand how to become the kind of people who can endure and cope in the realities of life. The writer is clearly stating that the Christian life is a race, and throughout the book, he gives us deep truths deep truth to endure and find to keep going, because, the, because he knows that it's not easy. He knows that they're going through struggles, and we'll talk a little bit more about that uh, later. So for those of us who are, have, who are suffering right now, we're feeling anxious, weary, just going through the motions of life, Christian or non-Christian, can I encourage you to listen to what this book has to say, listen to what this passage has to say to us, um, and really take it in and pray it through. Can I encourage you also, if you are looking at this and thinking, at the moment, my life is okay, to be honest. You know, job's going well, I'm in a good relationship, you know, friends and family are fine. Things are going well, I'm fine. Can I encourage you as well that, uh, I know I'm quite young, but I've got enough life experience to know that things don't always go fine. And when things, when the bottom falls out and things aren't as perfect as what they always are, then we need this. And I hope that this book will help you and come to strengthen you in the future. So in thinking about this passage, we're going to look at it in two ways. We're going to look at God the Father's love and God the Father's training. Okay, so we're going to first look at God the Father's love. Um, I think if we don't ponder on God's love as a father, and if we somehow view God as not being loving, then we can justify sometimes our rebellion against him. Because let's think about it. If we see God as a hateful dictator, this mean-spirited thing in the sky that's, that's given us orders, if we see God as that, then who can blame us for rebelling against him? If he's like that. But what the Bible states is that he's not like that at all. In fact, it's the opposite. Um, we've just seen that God is really a loving heavenly father who cares for us who loves us and um, he loves his children and if that's the case if God is a father that loves his children and wants the best for us that who will stop at nothing to um, to get the best out of us if that's the case then we, we don't have an excuse really do we we have to listen to what this father has to say so as I've stated before the people within the chapter are going through intense suffering um, the writer in chapter 10 reminds them of the past sufferings. Remember those earlier days, he says, in, chapter, uh, 30, in verse 32, he says, Remember those earlier days after you had received the light when you endured in great conflict full of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times you stood side by side with those who were so uh, treated 
and you suffered along with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you uh, yourselves had better uh, and lasting possessions. These people were being mocked and beaten on every side and they were just getting tired. We, we know the feeling, don't we? We know the feeling where it just feels like time after time after time after time again. It's just knock after knock after knock. And you just get tired of it at the end. I think these people were just... Um, we're just getting tired and weary. The writer then in chapter 11 powerfully speaks about faith of the people that have gone before them, uh, where he talks about Noah, Samson, David, and Abraham um, having faith and trusting in God throughout uh, the Bible. Um, chapter 11 is a great, if you, if you just want to get a bit of a snapshot of where uh, Hebrews, is, Hebrews is, chapter 11 is a great, just to look at that and just to see the faith that people have had uh, in, the, uh, in the past. And it's, it's a great one to read for yourself. The writer in chapter 11, verse 35, reminds them of the believers in the Old Testament. um, And he says, Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with the sword. Then as a continuation of that, he states at the start of chapter 12 that uh, uh, as the readers are surrounded by a cloud of witnesses cheering them on. So we've got the chapter 10 where it's talking about their suffering. We've got chapter 11 where it's talking about comparing it to people in the past who's been, who suffered before them, Abraham, Noah, and Samson. And then we get to chapter 12, and this is where we're at now. And it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and sin so, uh, that so easily entangles. The readers are just encouraged to keep on going, to keep on fighting. And any sin that is distracted them, they need to get rid of. Right? He's, t- he's talking them to keep looking, to keep fixing their eyes on Jesus. And anything that's distracted them from that is not helpful. Okay, so what he's saying is to keep their eyes fixed on him. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. See, the good news about the gospel is this. It's not about your performance. It's about one person's performance. It's not about what we do. It's about what God has done. And what it's saying here is that Jesus is the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. What that means is that he has done it all. He's at the start and he's the finish. Okay? He's done it all. You may be looking at this Christian faith and you may be looking, well, I'm struggling to, to understand here because I don't think I'll be able to keep it up. I don't think that if I uh, say that I'm a Christian, if I start coming to church, if I do all these things, I don't think I'm going to keep it up. Okay. And what this is saying is that you need to keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. If you keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, then he will get you through. And it's not you that's doing the work. It's God doing the work. It's God doing the work. He's already started it and he will finish it. But this came at a great, great cost. See, if we believe in Jesus, if we have uh, that joy of believing in, in him, if we have that understanding and, and that, uh, that freedom, then it's come at a great cost. As chapter 12 goes on to say, For the joy set before him, him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand, and he's now sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. See, because God is, ho- because God is holy, and he is perfect and pure, he had to get his hands dirty for us to have a relationship with him. We are not perfect, and God is perfect. And for that relationship, for God to be our father, there had to, something drastic had to happen. 
And what happened is basically God taking the form of a man and then dying on the cross for us. That and that sin being dealt with once and for all. God had to get his hands dirty. For us to be accepted into his family and to be adopted by him, he had to punish Jesus. Okay? And for that sin we have committed. You know, it's mind-blowing, isn't it, really? You know, God punishes Jesus for something we have done. But that's the, that's the drama. That's, that's, that's what needed to happen for us to have a relationship with him, for God to call us his children. See, if you were ever tempted to doubt God's love, then you need to look at the cross. If you are ever thinking in your life, does God really love me? If you're a Christian and you're thinking, you know, I don't know if God loves me. I don't know if I'm accepted. Then look at the cross. Keep looking at the cross. Keep that in your eyes. Keep fixing your eyes on Jesus. Let me encourage you with that. Sinclair Ferguson, who was a minister, says this. When we think of Christ dying on the cross, we are shown the lengths to which God loves us. So the lengths to which God, uh, God's love goes in order to win us back to himself. We would almost think that God loved us more than he loves his son. We cannot measure such love by any other standard. He is saying to us, I love you this much. The cross is the heart of the gospel. It makes the gospel good news. Christ died for us. He has stood in our place before God's judgment. He has borne our sins. God has done something on the cross we could never do for ourselves. But God does something to us as well for us through the cross he persuades us that he loves us so keep looking at the cross in our house we've got the jesus storybook bible i don't know if many many parents get have that it's it's a great um, it's a great bible to have for the kids to read that with them and i love how it describes it within the jesus storybook bible it says it says god has a never stopping never giving up unbreakable always and forever love that's a never stopping, never giving up, unbreakable, always and forever love. I think that's a, it's just beautifully written and the kids really get it. So when we read it to our kids, we say, God loves you like that. That's how God loves you. Mommy and daddy's love falls short of that. God's love is never stopping, never giving up, unbreakable, always and forever love. Okay? So it's important that we understand this because the next section we are going to read now will challenge us. Okay? And... It's, I think it's, it's placed in a certain way that's pointed as the, the, the chapter 11 has gone with the people that have gone in the past. And then we've got the, the start of chapter 12 that's spoken about the glories of the, the gospel. And then it goes into the, into the next bit, which I think will challenge us. So to quickly recap, uh, we've looked at God being an amazing father who wants the best for his children. We have looked at the fact that God loves us so much um, that he was willing to come into human history, live a life... Um, uh, live a life that we couldn't and then was crushed and then was crushed so God loves us and God is our father so with this in mind we're going to look at the second bit with God the father's training okay so verse 3 says this consider him meaning Jesus who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart now remember that the writer is speaking to Christians who, who are struggling, who are going through intense struggling, who are just, who are just being battered from every side. Um, and were being ta- the, ta- the lives were chaotic, things were taken off them, the, their, um, the homes were being taken off them, it was just chaotic for them, it was very, very difficult. And the writer in, is saying in verse 3 that the same hostility that you are enduring, Jesus endured as well. The same. 
The same hostility that you're enjoying from the people around you, that's what Jesus endured as well. Okay? And Jesus knows your trouble. He knows exactly what you're going through. The writer goes on to say in verse 4, in your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. So what he's saying there is that the writer says, look, I know you've got it hard. I know that you're facing real trial, but you haven't shed blood yet, meaning you haven't died for it. That may be coming in the future, but it hasn't happened now. So it might be, you might be thinking, well, that's a weird, weird encouragement. But that's, that's what he's saying. He's saying you haven't got to the point where, you've shed, uh, where your blood has been shed. The writer is saying that they recognize that they are struggling with hostility from sinners to the point that Jesus was, but has not got to the point of death. Now, let me ask you a question. In verse 4, it says about their struggles against sin. Whose sin are they struggling against? Is it their own? See, I think the writer's not talking about struggling with their sin. Of course, the, we, we as people struggle with sin all the time. Um, but I don't think he's getting at that. I think he's talking about the struggling with sin from other people as well. The sin of other people is just bounding against. Have we, have we ever felt that before? Have we ever felt that the, you, you're dealing with your own things, but as well as that, you've got, it may be at work, or maybe in your family, that people's issues and people's um, sin is... is, is is coming against you and you're struggling against that. Have you ever felt that before? No, I have. See, the violent acts that are happening towards them are because of other people's sin. Now, in verse 5 and 6, it says this, And have you completely forgotten the word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? It says, My son, do not make light of the word Lord's discipline, and do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastens everyone he accepts. As his son. Now let's stop there. The Greek word for discipline means paida. P-A-I-D-E-I-R. I-I-A, sorry, I don't know if I pronounced it right, but something like that. And was a common term for child rearing. So in, in, in Greek, that's what it means. And, and that means child rearing through instruction, training, and correction. So training your children, um, instructing your children, guiding your children, discipline. That, it, it was used within that same context. So it's used in the context of parenting. So if we've got that in mind in terms of discipline, let's read that verse again. My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline stroke training and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord, Lord disciplines or trains the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. See, when you have children and when you are trying to discipline and train them, the reality is, is that sometimes, not all times, but sometimes that pain is involved. Sometimes. Okay. But it's not a senseless pain. It's a pain which is hopefully there for the good of the child. Now, here's another question. The sinful acts against Jesus and the sinful acts against the, and the, against the people that were in the passage that we just read there, who put, the, who put that there? Who made that happen? Well, God did, didn't he? God put it there. That's what this pa- passage is getting at. So, has anyone else got an issue with this? You see, the, the struggle against the sin of other people, the struggle against the sin um, that Jesus had from other people was actually put into place by God. Now, this is, very, this is, this is why this is such a challenging uh, verse to read because you first read it and you think, wow, well, why is the pain involved? I don't get it. I've been, this is something I've been reading through and I've been struggling with, with uh, you know, just been reading it and just thinking, well, how is that the case? How does that fit together? Does God actually put people in our paths to, to cause us pain on purpose. Why? Why is that? 
And then it suddenly hit me in the context of what we've just been reading, that God is our father, that God is a dad. And like all good fathers, he has to make very unpopular choices for the good of his children. God is the perfect example of what it means to be a father. And if that's the case, then it makes you look at the, at the passage a little bit different. And it's something where what I can see more clearly as being a father myself. It's funny when you're preparing a sermon and, you, and you're looking at the passage. Um, and it's funny how things in your life can illuminate um, different things going on within the passage. And it, and it, and it illuminates what you're trying to say. Um, Jonah, my son, is, is currently going through, uh, through a stage where he's refusing to go in his pram. Um, so everywhere we walk, he's, uh, he refuses to go in. Um, you know, it's a nightmare. So, um, so we, we've got, obviously, Evie and Lydia, and we've got Jonah, and he wants to walk everywhere. Now, Jonah, obviously, because he's a toddler, doesn't realize that there's a difference between um, an empty street and a really busy motorway. He doesn't see the difference in that. He would want to just walk straight across that motorway, if he could. Okay. So what happens when I actually have to, when we're walking anywhere with Jonah and I'm holding him, and he wants to go down to walk, is obviously I have to carry him when we get to busy roads, because I don't want him to get knocked over. So as I'm carrying him, what is Jonah doing? Is he smiling at me? Is he saying, Daddy? No. Screaming the place down so everyone can hear, yelling, crying, sweating, you know, just completely going ballistic, just because I wouldn't put him down. Now, little does Jonah know that I'm actually doing something to save him, you know. What daddy has to do is carry him across the road. Um, I can see the dangers, I know the best thing for him, even though it would be painful for him for a short time. It's painful for him. He's absolutely distraught. But I'm still going to do it. Now, the question that needs to be asked is this. What is the most loving thing for me as a dad to do? Would it be for me to go, Jonah, you're crying and I see you're in pain. See you later. Would that be the most um, loving thing for me to do? I doubt that anyone in here would say, yes, it would. Give him free will and let him just go. See, should I let Jonah make his own rules and give him free reign and ultimately let him do what he wants? Should I let him walk across a busy road just because that's what he wants? The answer is that I love him too much to do that, don't I? I love him too much to let him make his own rules up. I love him too much just to go on and let him walk along the path by himself uh, and to get knocked over. Because in reality, I'm saving his life. If I did let him just walk, then I know he's just going to get knocked over because he wouldn't know what he was doing. See, we all know that good parenting isn't, isn't letting the child make uh, the rules and let them do what they want. Good parenting is making those hard decisions which you know will cause your child pain. But it's always with a greater purpose in the end. Now God is saying, I love you too much. I love you too much to let you think you can just go on this road by yourself. I love you too much to let you um, make your own rules. I love you too much, and in, in that process, I will wound you. That's what God is saying. And for a short time, you are going to feel pain. 
For a short time, you are going to see, you are going to feel some pain. You may think, well, you're comparing me to a toddler. You're comparing me to a toddler. I'm I'm a highly intelligent human being. I'm you know I'm fine. You know I can make my own rules up. I know what I want. But let's not think too highly of ourselves here. The gap between myself and Jonah is smaller than the gap between yourself and God. God is unlimited. God creates just by speaking. God knows exactly when the world would end, and he was there when the world began. Okay, he is unlimited. We don't know what's going to happen in the next few seconds. We are so limited in our thinking. So in terms of relating ourselves to a toddler and relating ourselves to God being a father, let's just think about God having the overall big picture of where our lives are going and what needs to happen within our lives. As opposed to us going, well, I want to do that, really. God, who loves us, like I said before, loves us too much to let us just do what we want to do. He loves us too much for that. And sometimes there'll be pain involved. In another example, most of you know, I work in a very uh, challenging school, uh, as I know some of you do here. And uh, a year seven girl who came into school, um, she was just off the wall. She... uh, running around the corridors, swearing at members of staff, just, you know, just, you know, she was just going everywhere. And what happened as a school, we, um, the year seven um, head of year had to put rules into place and, and put boundaries into place for them and to, and to help them to thrive, really. And, and she responded to it. See, she wasn't getting that at home. She wasn't getting that at home. It was a case of a parents wanting to be her best friend as opposed to being a parent and making those hard decisions. So what happened as a consequence, the school became the parent. And as we put the boundaries in place, she, she started to grow and started to mature and started to um, develop, and it was really good to see. I'm paraphrasing here, but what she said when she found out she was going to go to someone else, um, because as she changed the year, she was going to be in the hands of someone else, she said, oh, no, not him. I'm going to run rings around him because they're too soft. And I will end up uh, being a nightmare again. I need someone to be tough with me so I don't mess up again. Isn't it funny that even a year seven girl knows that she needs boundaries, she needs support, and she needs someone to be able to put boundaries in place for her, for her to survive, for her to um, be respectful within the school and, and, and go along with the rules and whatever. Now, the reality is, is that she should have been getting some of that at home, but we were, get, we were putting that into place instead. Now, let's go back to the passage. Remember what I've just spoken about. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best for them. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. See, it's not a senseless existence. It's not a senseless kind of pain that uh, God sometimes puts in our paths. There's a point to it. It's holiness at stake. For the moment, all discipline seems painful 
rather than pleasant, just like what I'm saying with Jonah. It wasn't a pleasant experience for him to be carried by his daddy going across a busy road. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. See, the difference between the year seven girl and the Christian, and the year seven girl was just being taught to be respectful within a building. For here it was to abide by the rules and be respectful. God trains and instructs us so that we share in his holiness and produce peaceful fruit. That we share in his holiness. It's not senseless. We are being transformed and shaped every day to be more like Jesus. The training isn't pointless. That's what I'm trying to say here. The training that we are going through, even though it's hard, even though it's difficult, even though it feels like we're getting battered from every side, it isn't pointless. God is using all the experiences in your life to train you. He has purposefully put things in your life and my life which will frustrate and will cause you pain. Purposefully put them there. That will frustrate and cause you pain. He has purposely designed certain issues in your life and has put people in front of you which for a short time causes you pain but ultimately will not cause you pain for a short time. It will transform you and produce in you things that you would never think possible. Paul Paul Tripp, a pastor from America, says this. God will take you where you haven't chosen to go in order to produce in you you what you could not achieve on your own. Who knows what God has in store for you? Who knows what... Um, what path God wants you to be on. Who knows where you will be in 50 years, 20 years, 10 years. Who knows how, what, the, what the impact will be from uh, the pain going on in your life. Who knows that? I know there's a lot of people here who've gone through things in their lives and then they can look back and say, God worked in that. God worked in that and he, and he sorted me out there just like a good dad does. God doesn't just leave us just to wander into nothingness. He works with us continually all the time. And he doesn't give up on us, you see. He doesn't give up on us. And when we think we're just completely blown it and we're like, we're lost. We're not. God is still there. He's still working with us. Never stopping. Never giving up love. That's God. That's our Father. See, what things in your life right now are causing you pain? uh, What things in your life right now are causing you pain? Just, it's frustrating you. Something is frustrating you and you're thinking, why does this not happen now? Why is this person here? Why are they doing my head in at work? Why is this relationship not working? In this passage, it says that God has put them there for a reason. And secondly, they are there to produce things in you you never thought possible. You can't see 20 years down the line. You can't see 10 years down the line. We can't see one minute down the line. God can Do you trust him? That's the question. Do you trust God, our Father, within the discipline? Do you trust God, our Father, with the training that he's actually given us? Do we trust him? This is how God works through his people. It's all the way through the Bible. Going back to chapter 11, the writer writing about all the heroes of the faith. All the heroes of the faith in chapter 11. The great cloud of witnesses watching over us. They mentioned Noah, Samson, David, and Abraham. All were used mightily by God. But God trained them and developed them. That's a great thing about the Bible. It's full of nobodies. The Bible is full of absolutely nobodies. People who are murderers and adulterers all the way through it. God used them, trained them, developed them. 
all the way through. In other parts of the Bible, we have, um, we've got Joseph, who was his dad's favorite, okay? But he was arrogant. So he spoke to his brothers and said, I had a dream that you're going to all worship me. His brothers didn't like it, so we told his dad, uh, told the dad that, uh, that he was dead, and they sold him into slavery. They kidnapped him, sold him into slavery, and then he became one of uh, Egypt's uh, uh, rulers. And he says, and he said to his brothers when he's kind of reconciled with them and he's back with them and says, says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. Now, that's only someone who's been through the mill and then can see the outcome and say, God intended it for good. I didn't see what was going to happen. If I wanted to map my own, my own life out, I wouldn't have planned it that way. I would have just stayed at home with my dad and just grew up there. But that wasn't God's plan. He was training me. He was developing me all the way. We've just finished our series in Esther where she is taken from her cousin's loving home and sold into a human trafficking situation where she's sold to be um, the king's queen. We just looked at that. But becomes a queen and then she prevents the laws from, uh, from the, prevents the Jews from, from annihilation and in a turning point, a cousin says to her, and who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. All the way through the Bible, it's littered with people just being used by God. People, uh, God just intervening and, and dealing with them. We have it ultimately with Jesus, who was perfect but was continually dis- disciplined and trained by God, his Father. In Hebrews uh, chapter 5, it says, Son, though he was... He learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. We need to get the idea out of our heads that uh, God's training and discipline is, because it, and is a punishment for us. That's sometimes what we can think, isn't it? Where we can think, have I done something wrong in the past? That's why God's judging me here. That, uh, you know. Now, there's a difference between if we go out on a Friday night and get wasted and then we're being sick. All right? That's a consequence of our sin. God can still use that, but that's a consequence of our sin. There's a difference between consequences and things that just appear out of nowhere. All right? What it's saying is that even Jesus was, uh, was being trained and being disciplined by God. Even Jesus was being trained and disciplined by God by suffering. He was, he was learning to be a son. He was learning to be obedient. He was still perfect, he was still perfect, but he was still learning because he was a man. He was fully man and fully God. See, if you were a Christian, your sin has been dealt with once and for all on the cross. In Hebrews 9, 28, he says this. Christ has, uh, was offered once to bear the sins of many. Meaning, your sin's been dealt with. It's finished. God isn't punishing you for past sins. Okay? The reason that you're going through pain is for training and development and for what God has got for you in the future. We may even not see what happens in the future, okay? But God knows the picture, and it's having that trust in him. God's design is not to hurt us ultimately, although it does hurt us temporarily. I'm not here making some thing saying we're not to hurt, and we've just got to smile and get on with, get on with life and not be weary. I'm not saying that. What I am saying is that like I said at the start, when you, it's like when you're in the cinema and you keep coming out of it and you don't know the characteristics of God and because of that, your, your struggles just don't make sense. 
I'm just trying to, through, and with God's word, help you to see how some of the things in your life can make sense. Because sometimes they seem senseless. Okay? But they're not senseless. There is a point to them. There is a point. God's design is not punitive. It's not some sort of weird, wacky divine justice. His aim is to purify and to refine and to deepen and to become more like him. That's his aim. To allow us to achieve peaceful fruit and holiness. So, like I said before, what is it in your life right now you would like God to remove? What is it in your life right now you think, I could do without that, quite frankly. That job, that scenario, that relationship, whatever, I could do without that. God, remove it, please. Don't want it. The Bible says that that very thing you're thinking of, that very thing you're thinking of, God has put it there to refine you and to train you and to develop you. And even though God hates and detests sin, he hates and detests evil, he hates and detests sin, he is so mighty and powerful, he can manipulate that to, for, to be used for something for a greater purpose. The question is, do we trust him? And do we believe it? Here's a blog, as I, as I am, there's a blog from someone who who's just writing about these things, and they're talking about just a normal parent and, and how can this, this can be lived out in, a practical, in their practical lives. Um, but I think you can put this into anyone, in any scenario, work or, or relationship or whatever. And it says, what this means for me as a parent is that every late appointment and every empty jug of milk is sov- uh, sovereignly decreed and used for my good. My child's tantrum is for my transformation. That's probably... A helpful thing for me. <laughs> my child's tantrum is for my transformation. And this truth has given me real freedom. Instead of despairing over the seemingly random and chaotic events in my life, I can view them in light of this sovereign care. When my days are long and everything seems to go wrong, I know it has all happened for a reason. In fact, all my parenting challenges are used for my spiritual good. They are to make, more, make me more like Christ. This is what God is about. He is not in the business of making my life comfortable. And free of any stress, he has something greater planned for me, my holiness. In the midst of the chaos, I see Jesus and how much I need the gospel each and every moment. The God of grace who saved me from sin is the God of grace who will help me to have patience. Every challenging situation becomes an opportunity for me to trust him. To obey, to learn, to grow, to rely more on his grace. So when the dryer breaks and I get a flat tire, instead of despair, there is hope. Life doesn't feel out of control if we know who is in control. We can trust and rest in God's sovereignty, knowing that God, knowing that he is using every stress for our transformation and for his glory. See, if I get to the point, and I pray I do, if I get to the point if I'm giving away my uh, two daughters in marriage, if I get to the point and, and some men have been there, uh, and I'm there and I'm going to give them away in marriage, I don't think, well I, well, I know, I won't be in that position where I'm thinking, and I'm focusing on the hard struggles, the times when I've had to 
mould them, the times when I've had to do the training with them. What I will be thinking is, look at my beautiful children. Look at my beautiful children. See, in the same respect, in the same respect as the same for God, when we finally see him, there will not be a focus on the hard struggles and the tasks and the the moulding and the developing and the training. God will be saying, look at my beautiful children. Look at my beautiful bride, the church. Now come and share your master's happiness. That's what you'll be saying.